Hi, and welcome to Responsa Radio, where you ask and we answer questions of Jewish law in modern times. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip, Executive Vice President at Hadar, here with Rabbi Ethan Tucker, Rosh Yeshiva at Hadar, a center for higher Jewish learning based in New York City. Hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Avi. How are you? People can't tell because this is a podcast, but this is our first ever episode that we are recording in a real studio. It's incredible. I feel like I'm on WABC. This is like a lifelong dream. I suppose perhaps people can tell, actually. and <laughs> That's maybe the point. Let's hope. All right. Our tagline here is uh, questions of Jewish law in modern times. And I feel like if there was ever a question that really felt like it was for this specific moment, um, that is the kind of question that we have today. It, it couldn't even have applied a year ago, actually. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you about whether it will apply in a year from now, but it certainly is a very contemporary and timely question. Okay. Can't wait. I have an inkling of what it might be about. Here's the question. Comes with a little bit of a backstory. Okay. We recently were invited to a Shabbat meal, our first indoor meal since the pandemic started. We decided that in order to safely eat together indoors, unmasked, we should all take rapid antigen tests, such as those available over the counter at many pharmacies prior to unmasking. So here's the question. Is taking a rapid antigen test allowed on Shabbat? We have learned previously about the halachic restrictions regarding medical therapeutics on Shabbat. Does this restriction extend to diagnostics? Additionally, are there specific problems with this specific test, such as erasing the control line and dyeing new color into the strips as the reagent diffuses through? There is a lot in this question. Um, I think there's going to be something in it for those of us that like big questions about the purpose of Shabbat and thinking about what we can and can't do on Shabbat. Um, and also, I'm hoping that you'll provide us with some fun details for those who like to play the game of which malacha is this, you know, which of the 39 very distinct types of things that I might not be allowed to do? Am I dying? Am I erasing? What's going on here? Um, there should be a little something in here for everybody. Yeah, it feels like you could fill out a whole Jeopardy grid just based on those. So I don't know if we'll get to that full of grid, but yeah, we can play that game. Uh, that, that will be fun. Let's start with the core question which is actually super simple. Do we have a concern about diagnostics on Shabbat? That is to say, I take the question to be, forget about all the physical milachot, manipulation of the world that might be at stake that we have to deal with here. Just as we saw in an earlier podcast, in an earlier episode, that the act of healing itself is potentially problematic on Shabbat. It's a kind of intervention in the world that's not something we do on a day that is meant to be perfect and at rest and complete. Uh, is that true of diagnosticating, figuring out? The short answer is no, right? There's not a problem with just taking stock <laughs> of where the world is, where someone's uh, state is at. The only question would be, are there physical actions involved in that diagnosis that are 
problematic. But on its own, the notion of figuring out, is someone COVID positive? Um, does someone have a temperature? Uh, if I take my hand and put it on my child's forehead and I say, oh, you feel really warm. I've determined you have a fever. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Simply put, because you're not healing. You're not intervening. You're not fixing anything. You're just looking in a way at what's going on. So that's really going to refocus us on fine, we can get this information. How are we getting the information? And are there ways in which we need to get this antigen test result that are going to implicate us in things we don't want to be doing physically on Shabbat? Right. So so hurdle number one sounds like it's down. It's, it's not so different from waking up on Shabbat morning and saying, I don't feel good. I should stay home today. That's um, right. It's just a different way of coming to that conclusion. That's right. So now we got to think about, okay, what's happening here? Um, the different tests are a little bit different, at least the ones that I've used, and I haven't used the full range of them. You um, haven't You haven't at this point taken every kind of rapid COVID test? I don't test. think so. I think I've done <laughs> mainly two, and maybe I've done a third. Um but I think we do all know they involve shoving something up your nose. That seems generally pretty consistent. And then also um, taking a swab, mixing it with some kind of liquid. There's usually some kind of squeezing out of that liquid at some point. And then there's putting that liquid mixed with the stuff from your body on some kind of strip that provides some kind of readout. Um, sometimes we're a little more active in the squeezing. Sometimes it's shoving it under a, you know, a cardboard piece of paper, something like that. Those are the basic activities we're talking about, and we have to try to categorize. So unfortunately for suffering kids, I wish I could tell them, absolutely not. No one can shove something up your nose on Shabbat. I'm sure they would enjoy that overall. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with shoving something up your nose on Shabbat, right? <laughs> so that that just doesn't, that doesn't register. Um, the first kind of, I would say, conceptual thing that you might think we're doing here in a certain physical form is the category of midida, which isn't really a milacha. It's not a formal manipulation of the world, but it's the act of measuring, you're not allowed to do measurements on Shabbat. Mm -hmm. In the core way, what does that mean? You're not supposed to measure out a cup of flour in order to sell it to someone, in order to bake with it, because those are things you shouldn't be doing. Selling things, baking, those are not Shabbat-compliant activities in the first place. I remember discussing this on a Fitbit episode. That's right. We did talk about that. And even in non-commercial uh, and non-melacha settings, medida measuring uh, can be a problem. But the general principle is medida shel mitzvah is allowed when it's measuring done for some value-laden purpose, uh, as opposed to commercial or just enjoyment, um, then that is okay. Uh, what What is an example of a value-laden measurement? Good. So on a simple level, one might be, I need to know if my sukkah wall is high enough in order to know if I can eat in it on Shabbat, and it needs to be 10 tfachim, 10 handbreadths tall, and I need to get on my ruler to see, does it hit that height? But just to be clear, you're not going to then adjust your sukkah wall. No, you might have to Shabbat. go to a neighbor. Yeah. Right. Um, or 
you need to, uh, particularly if you're, you know, quite neurotic about this, know that you're eating enough matzah at the Seder mm -hmm. or drinking enough wine in the cup that you have. Um, the notion of, oh, I need to know how much is here in order to then fulfill a religious obligation. Mm -hmm. But another case like that that comes up is let's say like a kashrut question comes up on Shabbat and a rabbi's asked the question and she has to say, okay, but I need to know how, what the volume was of the chicken soup into which the milk fell and I need you to measure it. Mm -hmm. That's allowed, right? In order to kind of determine how to proceed. Yeah, right. You know, you know, the image of measuring your matzah is like exactly. I, I love that kind of stuff. That, that sounds so awesome <laughs> cuts, to me. Cuts close to home in a good way. <laughs> um, so one of the things that gets you know broadly put into the category of medida shel mitzvah uh, are things for healing and medicinal purposes, right? That is to say, if a thermometer doesn't, uh, you know, violate other concerns about Shabbat, um, then the notion of measuring one's temperature is generally approved of by various poskim, mm -hmm. as you can do that on Shabbat. Now, they, if it's an electric thermometer, they might not like that. Or, you know, if it's like numbers that light up when you put the strip on your head, uh, they'll well, have like to engage your, with your that. Your example that you gave us of putting your hand to someone's head um, as a parent, you know, again, when you've done that a thousand times, you can actually start to rely on that a little bit as a, as a real measure of what someone's temperature is. Um, and there would be no problem with that. Yeah. And this is taking it even further and saying, and even something that would really quantify it mm -hmm. and get you to 102.1, we wouldn't allow you to do that, let's say, for, oh, what's the temperature outside? Or what's the temperature of this food? I'm going to now stick in a thermometer and see where it goes. No, that's just measuring that you shouldn't be that precise on Shabbat. But this is for a need. And that's pretty easily dispensed with here as a concern, because whatever category you put this in, people measuring themselves to have a sense of their health, their contagion to others, all of that, definitely there is precedent. Going back to the Ravya, the Maharami Rotenberg, other medieval authorities, yeah, things related to health, we measure and we don't worry about. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So what's left? It sounds like two hurdles have been past. We're, we're yeah. on our way to sticking the thing up our nose, but Good. what's next? So I'll name three other things we have to be concerned about. Before we get into them, I want to offer one very important headnote here, which is that if, of course, someone is actively symptomatic and you are worried that they have something that could be a source of contagion to someone else, and they are about to be in close proximity to that person. That's just in the penumbra of pikuach nefesh, saving life. Certainly, if the other person has any kind of risk factors, immunocompromised, whatever it is, even if it were a full melacha, <laughs> we would allow you to kind of go down this road. The analysis that will apply to these next categories is against the backdrop of the question, which we'll also get to talk about, uh, which is really, you know, what I think we can call broadly speaking, the optional activity of sharing a meal with people who are not even in your household as part of enhancing your Shabbat experience. I'm not meaning to downplay that after two years of isolation 
That could be quite an important thing. I just do, though, want to separate it from questions of, I'm trying to not infect this person who I'm otherwise needing to share space with. This is, I'm trying to look for a way to be able to socialize with people more. So just to clarify, it sounds like if the question is, um, when can I do a test that is malacha, that's one answer and one question. And it's actually a very different question than, is this strange magic that I'm doing with the squeezing and the thing? Is there malacha in this activity, which is a different question? That's exactly right. And I'm about to really answer the second question, which is to say, here are all the ways we can look at these antigen tests and say, there's not really a malacha going on here. Minimally, the core prohibitions on a biblical level that we're most concerned about do not seem like they're going on here at all. And maybe there's not even anything to be concerned about on a rabbinic, more peripheral level. So let's get to these categories. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, I think we started with, well, you could tell me the order. Should we start with erasing, dying? Yeah, so erasing, I'm not actually so sure is there in a lot of the tests that I've seen. But let's talk about libun. Let's talk about literally whitening or laundering or cleaning. There is an aspect in these where you take a swab, which is now quite dirty from putting it in your nose, and you put it in a solution. And in general, for instance, if I have like a dirty cloth mm -hmm. and I throw it into a bucket of water, that's the one of the stages of laundering something, right? And so the notion of taking a dirty object and putting it in a liquid is something that actually well, generally, we're very careful about, right? In other words, you would not, if wine spilled all over your tablecloth on Shabbat, take that tablecloth with the wine stain and put it in a bucket of water to soak until the end of Shabbat. It's such an interesting example because the I see what you're saying about the physical like process looking the same and the similarities, but it's so not an act of washing that it would never have that would never have entered my brain to worry about that that's the concern. Good. So that's exactly what Rabbeinu Tam would have said about this and the main way to think about it. He would say, no, 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 no. This is derech lichluch. This is just getting something dirty in a way of, we have something with something gross on it. We're putting it in a non-cleaning solution that isn't even water. Don't get fetishized about the notion of dirty thing in liquid, exactly well, what no you said. Well, no person at the end is like, good thing this suave is clean now. <laughs> exactly. So it's important to raise just because so many of the issues around Shabbat do pull us back to forms. This is an opportunity among many questions to remind that those forms are always wrapped up with function. And here we might have a form that looks something like cotton swab is like dirty tablecloth, you know, tube with solution is like pail of water, but it's really night and day between the two of them. Nothing like cleaning is going on here, and therefore that category exits stage left. So another one of those is schita, is squeezing a liquid out of a solid. Now this one feels really textbook. Every time I read one of those little things that says like, make sure you squeeze it, it feels like, okay, that's pretty much exactly, like, you know, it doesn't come up frequently in my life that I'm like wringing out a towel or whatever these images are, but this actually is exactly that. 
Yeah, that is definitely uh, more plausible, right, as a candidate for concern. Um, and I will say the different tests are not exactly the same on this front. There are some tests where you put the swab into the solution, and then you are expected when withdrawing the swab to wring out every last drop from it so it falls back into the pool. There are other ones, like Binax, where you get it wet and then you shove it under and inside a kind of tight piece of cardboard, but you're not actually doing the wringing out, even if, as a result of shoving it in, some of the liquid pools in that area, and it's meant to extract it, but it's not your thumb and forefinger actually stripping the liquid out of the swab. Mm -hmm. It's another version, actually, of exactly the same question of, is, is it the activity that I'm doing that matters or is it the purpose of the activity? Yeah. So look, the argument you could make, even for the uh, extraction with your thumb and forefinger, right, from the Q-tip, uh, is some notion of, look, this is not actually a liquid that we need, that we are then going to use. We have it there, we're gonna pour it on a control strip, and then the whole thing is gonna be thrown out, right? right? It's kind of like irrelevant as a product, as opposed to um, when you are squeezing out an orange and you need the juice because you're going to drink it. Right. Um, and any other kind of extraction in that way. It's certainly not functioning like wringing out a towel where you're, you're doing it in order to clean the towel, right? Get it sort of ready for use. So you can make a kind of functional argument that this is a, you know, at most, a kind of action that is not done for its normal functional purpose maximally, maximally is forbidden on a rabbinic level. And for concerns around health, you could then be potentially lenient around things that are only rabbinic level prohibitions. Um, and that it's just not really necessarily something we should think of as schita at all. Most cases of wringing and squeezing, we do at the end of the day care about either getting, in this case, like, a really clean Q-tip, mm -hmm. <laughs> which we don't care about here, or we now need this liquid to consume it, you know, to do something with it, to sell it, whatever it is. We're just taking it, we're pouring it on something, and the rest of it is thrown in the garbage. That said, it is an action that is very, very much like <laughs> the forbidden actions of mm -hmm. squeezing and wringing. And I would say on this front, to the extent a person needs to take a Shabbat test, and we'll get back to the sort of maybe axis of need in a minute, I would recommend doing a Binax over one huh. of these other kinds. The ones that insert into kind of a cardboard space where the squeezing is not done directly by your hand, that version of the test may be a better option for Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend that if you're stocking up for tests that you may use on Shabbat. That kind is better. Why? Because there you already have a different set of leniencies around squeezing things out on Shabbat, which is already in the Mishnah and then in later medieval sources like the Ravad, the notion that when a sponge or a kind of absorbent material has a handle and you hold the handle, but not 
the squeezable material itself, then you don't have You're to a worry. Distance away. Exactly. You don't have to huh. worry about what's expelled from it. And here, literally, you're holding the end of the Q-tip of the swab. You're shoving it in. Maybe it expels some of it, but you're not directly involved in it. And that might be a consideration in terms of a Shabbat test of trying to find something where you are not doing the absolute squeezing. Now, again, if the need level is high enough, which we'll talk about, you definitely can argue about the other test certainly not being a biblical level problem. And to the extent there's real concerns about safety, um, even if not life-threatening, um, you can generally justify doing those kinds of rabbinic level prohibitions, uh, you know, in order to keep people healthy. You know, we did a whole nother episode on the concept of shinui, the idea of doing something different on Shabbat just to mark that it's Shabbat. Um, and it makes me think, oh, yeah, I could I could keep those kinds of tests as my Shabbos tests. And then I could have the you know, the the ringing out kind of, of COVID tests. I mean, it's like, what what is the world we live in where it's like, I have my Shabbos clothes, I have my Shabbos <laughs> COVID tests. I'll raise one last physical dimension here, which is raised by the questioner. Uh, tzvi'ah, dyeing or coloring, right? So the last thing that happens here is you're putting the liquid in contact with a strip. It is then coursing down the strip until it hits a line that either, you know, lights up, as it were, or doesn't, right? Or you get right. one, or Hopefully you get your two. control line lights up. <clears throat> Correct. So uh, one way or the other, you are having some kind of coloring appear, right, on a strip. And the question is, is that an act of dying? So the simple answer is no. <laughs> um, on a basic level, the reason it's not dying, if you think about it, is, well, dying is when you take a pigment and a material, and you graft a pigment onto a material. So I've got a napkin, and I've got red dye, and I put red dye on the napkin, and I've made the napkin red. Mm -hmm. That's not something you're allowed to do in order to make a red napkin on Shabbat. Right. Though, if you just have strawberry juice all over your hands and you need to wipe it on the napkin, while there were some medieval views that says, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do that on Shabbat, that's generally understood to be, yeah, that's a stringency some people follow, but that's not really the act of dying because mm -hmm. you don't have the intent to end up with a red napkin. It feels like my kids do, but I but I suppose you're right. They're not actually <laughs> trying to destroy the furniture and the tablecloth. <laughs> by the time by the time they reach the age of mitzvot, I imagine. Uh -huh, okay, they'll be good. In that sense, what we have going on here is really different, right? What you're actually doing is the strip in interaction with this other object that doesn't have that color has a chemical reaction whereby it reveals the color in itself, right? It's actually just sort of physically very different hmm. um, in that sense. That's one major difference. It's not like a colored liquid onto a non-colored strip. It's a combination of two things that almost reveals the inner color of the strip. Obviously, it's, it's the interaction. It's but. the opposite of the uh, the washing example. In this case, it doesn't, it isn't actually the same activity. It's not actually dying, but it sort of feels like, it sort of looks like dying. Yeah, that's right. And that really goes also to the functional piece, which is really important. When you dye a napkin red, you want a red napkin. Mm -hmm. When I get the control line to show up, I, I just need the information. 
Right. I don't care that it's a color. I don't care that it remains colored. I'm throwing right. that thing in the garbage right now. Right. And in fact, they tell you, don't look at it after a half hour because it may not have remained. Right. That's right. So it's ephemeral. Everything about it does not actually match the category of tzvi'a. Um, and there's a further factor here, which is actually significant and important, um, which is it happens via a process known as grama which is to say indirect causation. You don't actually drop the liquid on the area of the control line. Mm -hmm. You drop it on one end of the strip and then it diffuses down the strip in a way that's already one step removed. Right. Now, it's not like you can just do whatever you want on Shabbat if you do it via grama, via delayed action, but that always knocks things down a level. Yeah. So once you're dealing with something that's already not arguably in this category at all, the amount that you're worried, but maybe it's similar to it once you have that kind of action at a distance, as it were, it entitles you to be even more nonchalant. And the Shmirat Shabbat Kihilchata, one of the kind of standard textbooks on practical Shabbat uh, observance, uh, wasn't dealing with the coronavirus when it was uh, published, but with respect to other kinds of medical tests, uh, it could be certain kinds of diabetic tests, um, pregnancy tests, other things that come up says you don't have to worry about the issue of tzvi'a, of coloring with these kinds of tests for some of the reasons that I laid out here, and particularly when it's a case of grama, where there's some kind of distance between your action and the result. All right. So for anyone who's still listening to this podcast <laughs> after we've been through all of these complicated details, it sounds like, yes, we can take a COVID test on Shabbat. Okay. So here's where we get now, I think. To the oh, maybe. come on. Now you're going to give us a no? <laughs> well, I'm going to ask us to shift frames. Okay. I think if you ask me from the physical frame and even from the frame of measurement, yeah, I don't think the problem with this um, is, you know, primarily located in the physical concerns, right? The one that I think is the most potentially significant is the wringing out of the of the swab, um, and so that's a factor, right? To think about that one and maybe choosing the test that is less aggravated, but then there is also, I just think, the whole kind of apparatus of what is happening here. Uh, it goes back to your question of what would they have thought? What would they, our ancestors, these earlier poskim have looked at? And part of what I think they would have seen here was, oh, that seems like a big operation that mm -hmm. you're doing there on Shabbat. Um, even if you can weasel out of each and every one of these categories, um, it's this kind of interaction, pulling out equipment, ripping open things. Again, we can dismiss ripping open packaging. It's a light packaging meant to be destroyed. Like, I really think there's no category here that really has to stop you. And if you do a Google search on this, you'll find any number of halachic authorities in America and Israel, other places, you'll find the headlines that say, it's permissible to do a coronavirus mm -hmm. test on Shabbat. But there's something that made people ask the question, right? There's yeah. something about this activity that just does not feel like we should be doing it on Shabbat. And look, what I think it comes down to is, and this is where I'm not sure we can give the answer on a podcast. I think it comes down to both for the 
adjacent to malacha concerns here and the kind of operation <laughs> involved of all the steps here to, you know what, if there's a need, you definitely can and should do this. And if there's not a pressing need and you can avoid doing it on Shabbat, you probably should. So mm -hmm. let's just play out a few things. What feels obvious to me is if this kind of rapid antigen testing in a given community, in a given context, done on Shabbat morning is the only way to run a public prayer space where the range of people that need to and want to come in can feel confident and secure and be able to be there. And maybe this is the only way to allow people to feel like they can unmask mm -hmm. and be fully present in their voice and in all kinds of ways. If that feels like that's really the need in that community, yeah, then that's I think a real need. you go ahead and do it. Um, someone wakes up, they're symptomatic. They want to go to shul. Um, they want to not cut themselves off. They want to know, do I have a runny nose? Right. <laughs> or do I have COVID in an active way that is potentially going to infect people? Because even though obviously a negative, we know a negative test doesn't guarantee you uh, that you don't have COVID, a negative test is a, is a decent indicator of how contagious you right. are in that moment. Um, that also feels like a need. You don't want to endanger people. And there's a value of you not just sitting at home and participating in the dvar mitzvah uh, in the kind of, you know, value-laden <laughs> context of going and praying and praying in the community. Um, I think then we start to sort of move out from there, right? Like a Friday night dinner uh, to go with friends you can take the antigen test before Shabbat. There's really right. no reason not to do that. And I would say, yeah, do that right before Shabbat. That's probably true for lunch as well. But there it starts to get a little Meaning more that dicey. for lunch, you could maybe do it on Friday afternoon. Yeah, you could probably do it. It would be close enough, but closer can be better. Um, again, we're, I'm assuming here you're talking about someone who is non-symptomatic doing it for peace of mind and for That's other people's peace like of mind. That's what it sounded like for the person in this particular question. Correct, which is a, you know, a low level of concern with a potentially low level of need, right? Yeah, I would just say that there is, there are two different kinds of need, I think. And, and as we can see so clearly just from walking through the world, really, whoever you are listening in really even whatever country you're listening, um, is that people have different levels of psychological That's need right. in order to feel safe. That, that where one person might say, just go to Shabbos lunch, somebody else might say, actually, I, I can't go to Shabbos lunch without this information. Yeah, so I'm glad you raised that. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I think we may have talked about this on another episode. Um, there's a different way of thinking about this. Like when I think about this question from the perspective of the person taking the test, I'm giving you the kind of uh, analysis here of, okay, you know, do you have to do it this way? Could you do it that way? You're kind of in control of the situation and deciding, can I do this before Shabbat? Maybe until I feel comfortable being with people on Shabbat, I'm going to go to dinner as opposed to lunch, you know, any number of factors like that. But there can be another factor which can relate to the tester, but can also relate to other people they're sharing a meal with, where the other person really from a, may not be from a 
medical recommendation perspective. It may literally be from a psychological perspective. Like I am feeling so overwhelmed with anxiety by I've had two years of being yeah. <laughs> cut off from people. Um, I, I have been told by society over and over in ways that may have already reinforced certain you know, predilections I had. You have to be on guard, on guard, on guard. Now you're going to tell me suddenly, I just, I'm going to unmask. I'm going to not test. I'm not going to know what's going on. You may sometimes actually have a role of aiding that person's uh, psychological need and their own sense of wellness in the category of, right, we talk about people who feel, who are cholim kolaguf, right, is a category that halacha talks about. We're sort of, you're not, you're, you're, life is not in danger, but your your entire body, your entire mental state is sort of overtaken by basically a concern in one way or another. And the notion that that kind of psychological space is something where we do sometimes actually, if not cut corners, play on the edges of certain things that we might not otherwise do on Shabbat. Sometimes actually being able to say, I took a rapid test. I tested negative. You, therefore, can actually feel okay about sharing a meal with me. That may be a step that you actually take on Shabbat. For but that I'm meal. a little surprised even to hear you suggesting that you would need that based on all of the other considerations. It sounds like it's actually basically fine. And the threshold for determining whether it's needed could really be like, if you feel you need it, you know? I mean, it's not so many people who are walking through the world taking COVID tests, like, for no reason <laughs> or for fun. Yeah, I no, I appreciate you clarifying it. I don't mean that you need that because I do think it's sort of basically fine. But I think there are any number of people who may not experience it as basically fine. They're seeing something being wrung out. They're seeing a control line get colored. And as much as they may be like, oh, great, you know, this podcast made me feel a lot better about that, they may still, and I kind of honor it, feel like that's a lot of kinds of activities that I don't want to do on Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm trying to give us some language of one affirming that I think it's legitimate to try to avoid doing that on Shabbat mm -hmm. if you feel you can, but also to not forget there may be other people in the picture that you are affecting where even if you wouldn't do it for yourself on Shabbat, <laughs> you refusing to do it and therefore either backing out of or having uh. another person back out of a lunch, that may not be the right balance yeah. of those needs. I think that's really helpful actually to end us on uh the, the concept that sometimes taking a, a COVID test is something you are doing for yourself and you determine the need. And sometimes it is something you're doing for someone else because someone else has asked you slash required it of you. Um, and that may be a different calculation in terms of what, what we should and shouldn't do. I am tempted to say, I hope this episode becomes completely irrelevant in the near future. Um, but my, I kind of want to say something a little different, actually, because I, I actually imagine that the existence of COVID rapid tests may lead us into a world of strep rapid tests and all sorts of other rapid tests that this may actually be a new phenomenon in our lives. And it may be that these conversations that we had around COVID rapid tests may be you know, the beginning of, of a new genre of question that we ask about ourselves and our healthcare and how they interact with Shabbat. The only way up is all together. The only way out is all together. No, it's hard, but it's gonna 
Responsa Radio is a project of the Hadar Institute. Thanks to Jeremy Tabak for producing this podcast and to David Chobinski for recording and editing this episode. Have a halachic question you'd like answered on the show? Email us at halacha at hadar.org. H-A-L-A-K-H-A-H at hadar.org. Would you like to sponsor an episode of Responsa Radio? Email radio at hadar.org. Raise your voice now all together.